Hello, my name is Reverend Seth Nelson, and I am the pastor of Faith Lutheran Church in Ronan, Montana. Join in weekly to hear the good news of God's love proclaimed over your life. You can follow us on Podbean and iTunes. God bless you this day. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Charlemagne, Charles the Great, uh, came to power over the Franks in 774 AD and was very distinct for his age. Being the first uh, leader since the fall of the western half of the Roman Empire to really unite those in Western Europe under his rule. Uh, The Lombards and other groups, they all came, came together. As such, he was even crowned Holy Roman Emperor for his achievements, his military conquests and conquering. Now, you probably know uh, Charlemagne from history, um, but you may or may not know that part of his conquering was uh, very motivated and uh, an extension of his faith. Perhaps I shouldn't uh, ascribe motivations to him necessarily why he conquered, but his faith was absolutely involved in the conquering activity. That is, uh, part of Charlemagne's uh, expansion and consolidation of power and defeating his enemies involved Christian conversion, forced conversion to the faith of Jesus Christ. Now, many people might talk about uh, a major change in Christianity when uh, Constantine became Christian uh, in the 300s um, and uh, um, things like that, which is sort of true. But even at that time, all that change just made Christian, Christianity more official within the empire. But at that time, nobody was really forced to convert, forced to adopt this faith. It was a little bit different over the centuries. The, I know I'm getting into history here, but uh, the Visigoths were kind of set up more as clans, and uh, as their tribal chieftains went, so went their religious practice. So if the chief converted to Christianity, the whole tribe converted to Christianity. Uh, so up until Charlemagne, that was kind of more or less the case, is how groups became Christian overnight, all as one. If your chief became Christian, then you became Christian too. But it wasn't really until Charlemagne that we have record of um, forced conversion. That is, as uh, a territory or a group or a tribe came under Charlemagne's rule and part of the Carolingian dynasty, they also were compelled to become Christian too. This really ramped up uh, a couple centuries later in the Crusades. Now that was not the intent of the Crusades, mind you. The intent of the Crusades were to reclaim Jerusalem for under Western Latin Christian rulership, which they were successful at in the first crusade and then failed miserably on subsequent crusades. But a thing to come out of that was the militarization of the faith. For instance, you have the Knights Templar, uh, hospital or uh, orders where you had monks who were carrying swords and fighting on behalf of the faith and all this. 
But then in a kind of an unforeseen offshoot of the Crusades was Inquisitions. Uh, and that really ramped up over the centuries. That, uh, the idea of um, putting people on trial for heresy and putting them to death for misleading people in the faith and leading people astray um, uh, was, was something that really emerged over the centuries and kind of came into full swing by the 13 and 1400s uh, with very notorious and kind of deadly results uh, perhaps worse displayed in the Spanish Inquisitions, but they were all over Western Europe. The idea that you could force faith, and not only that, that you could regulate faith. That if you spoke uh, heresy and whatever, it should be stamped out through legal means. That you were an outlaw for speaking bad theology. That you were an outlaw for misinterpreting scripture, right? That you should face criminal punishment for misspeaking. And over the centuries that obviously uh, made its way not only across Europe and European Christian countries, but then as they began their colonizing efforts spread globally. The idea that as we conquered, the faith should be a conquering force as well, accompanied it. That is until the United States of America specifically the colony of Virginia and its governor, pre the United States, one Thomas Jefferson. Anybody heard of Thomas Jefferson? Oh, good, all right. Otto, you know Thomas Jefferson, huh? Well, the third president was. The third president, yeah, good job, all right. Freya, you know Thomas Jefferson? All right, good. Glad my kids are learning their history. Now, uh, when... Uh, uh, Thomas Jefferson was governor of Virginia. The colony had a statute or policy that uh, they should not establish any sort of colonial religion. There should not be a, essentially a state or national church of the colony of Virginia, which I hope you're piecing it together by now, made its way into the Bill of Rights as our, what is now our First Amendment that uh, there is no official religion of the United States, right? And uh, the government is prohibited from uh, enacting laws to regulate religion and, and uh, doctrinal practice and belief, so on and so forth, um, and should respect, respect the freedom therein. That we, uh, religion is no longer something that is to be regulated and made into law or outlaw status, anything like that. That our religious practice is private, is individual, and should remain free. I, I guess I'm being patriotic here and saying that, that that was a pretty good idea, right? Good one, Thomas Jefferson. Way to be a third president of the United States, right? <laughs> and of course, the, the Bill of Rights came before that and all that. Over time, uh, the idea of freedom of religion has really become ensconced not only in our nation, but across the globe. And I think uh, is something that is incredibly compelling. And I think is actually a very good idea. Now, I do believe in standards of confessions of faith and doctrines. And uh, some things I think are just wrong. I do believe that there are heresies out there. That there are things that should not be preached from the pulpit. There are practices that are outside the bounds of good Christian living and all that. 
At the same time, I'm not sure that people should go to jail. I'm not sure that she, people should be fined. I'm not sure that we should have religious codes and things like that. And I'm grateful to live in a nation where it's, it really is kind of more free-for-all. Um, at times, this uh, puts us as a disadvantage as Christians, right? I'm often envious of my Lutheran uh, fellow pastors in Scandinavia and Germany, or at least in Scandinavia, many of them are paid significantly more than I am. So, if you guys want to get on board with tax, can I tax you guys differently? Oh, come on, we can laugh about those guys. <laughs> no, no. Um, but one thing I am profoundly grateful for, to be a religious practitioner in this nation, is that uh, we uh, really do practice freedom in our religion, right? That our faith is not a, a forced thing. We do not have a state church. We do not have a state religion. We do not have standards of you must be confirmed or you must believe this way or you must interpret the Bible this way. But instead, it is a matter of individual freedom and group freedom as we come together to be church on our own. I tell you that to reflect on our lesson from Acts. In Acts, we hear of this first sermon of Peter, and we're getting the tail end. We had a previous portion of it for last week, and here we have the tail end, where Peter firmly, firmly stands up in Jerusalem, a place where Jesus had just been executed, to those very same people who were calling for his blood, and said firmly and resolutely, this man who was executed at your behest was in fact the Messiah, the Lord's anointed one, and the Son of God. Freely, independently, without force, and kind of outside of any sort of religious established order, Peter laid before them who was the Son of God, who was God come to them in their midst, and freely in an unforced kind of way. 3,000 of them, at least according to Acts, heard this message and were moved to the waters of baptism. They were moved to adopt and to commit to this Christian faith freely, uncoerced. They were moved to uh, step into this gracious love of God. This gracious love of God that need no coercion or extra um, force or regulation or be jammed down anybody's throats or anything like that. All Peter had to do was tell people that God loved them. God loved them in Jesus Christ. And a massive group of them were so moved by that story of love that they freely and willingly went to the waters of baptism and donned this new Christian faith, something that they were also figuring out at the time. That's a powerful lesson for our time as we move more into this age, this uh, not only leaning into the First Amendment more and more, our religious freedom, our freedom to believe what we believe, our freedom to go to the, which church we choose, our freedom to uh, practice and be diligent in our church attendance or not. 
be diligent in our giving or not, right? These are not forced things in our setting. This, I'll be honest, has led to certain struggles for our churches existing and continuing and thriving in this country. There are questions of as many church closures anymore as there are new church starts. Um, and sometimes within Lutheran congregations, even more closures than anybody's talking about starting. And yet, and yet, where we are in this cultural moment in this 21st century America, there's something about that is indelibly exciting to me. That we are leaning more and more into the freedom to believe or not. The freedom to hear that message that God loves us no matter what. That freedom to hear that message that Jesus not only died, but he rose again for us. That freedom to hear the grace of God's pronounced over our life again and again. And to listen with open hearts and open minds. And to hear that story move on us as nothing but good. I rejoice in this moment that we live, though it presents challenges for us, because it has freed us more and more to be like the people in the first century, the people that Peter preached to. They were compelled by the love of God to move to the waters of baptism and beyond. That we're so compelled by the message that they devoted their lives to this new mysterious faith that was only just beginning to be revealed. Brothers and sisters, we, may we continually follow their example and freely embrace the message of Jesus Christ. Not because we have to, but because we want to. May the peace of God, which passes all understanding, Keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. I hope that you've enjoyed this week's sermon podcast. If you would like to hear more, read my blog, or get a copy of my book called The Church Unknown, go to www.revsethnelson.com. If you feel called to support our ministry, I invite you to go to our church's website at flcronan.org and click on the Offerings tab. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord's face shine on you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Amen.